Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reversing Hashimoto's uh, podcast again. I'm your show host, Dr. Anshul Gupta, a functional medicine expert who helps people reversing their Hashimoto's. And today with me is world expert, Dr. Tom O'Brien. Dr. Tom, welcome over here. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Oh, yes. The pleasure is all mine. You know, like when I started my functional medicine journey, I learned so much by your lectures and, you know, all the talks that you have given. So definitely I've read all your books and you are so amazing. So thank you so much for all the work you're doing. So it's a pleasure for me to inviting you and learning more, you know, about how we can do better with reversing Hashimoto's. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for the kind words. I'm going to tell my wife after you said this to remind her. <laughs> that... <laughs> <all> need that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Dr. Tom, let me first introduce you to our audience so that they know who you are. So when it comes to getting healthy, Dr. Tom O'Brien, goal for you is making it easy to do the right thing. As an internationally recognized, admired, and compassionate speaker, focusing on food sensitivities, environmental toxins, and the development of autoimmune diseases, Dr. Tom O'Brien, Audiences discover that it is through a clear understanding of how you got to where you are that you and your doctor can figure out what it takes to get you well. Dr. Tom O'Brien is considered a Sherlock Holmes for chronic diseases and teaches that recognizing and addressing the underlying mechanisms that activate an immune response is the map to the highway towards better health. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute for Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. Dr. Tom, welcome over here again. Thank you so much. Great. So, I'm really excited to talk more about Hashimoto's disease because, you know, obviously you have a great book, you know, where you talk about autoimmune diseases and how we can reverse it. But certainly you talk about some common mechanisms that, you know, each and every case of Hashimoto's thyroiditis goes through. And we would like to know more about those common mechanisms and what is your thought about reversing Hashimoto's? Oh, thank you. Yeah, there, there are a basic, a few basic principles that are true for every autoimmune disease that we've ever looked at, for every one of them, including Hashimoto's. And if you do not include an understanding of these basic principles and mechanisms, it's, Im I'm going to say, impossible to arrest the development of your individual autoimmune disease. And the language that the researchers use is the word arrest. You can arrest, which means stop the development of your autoimmune disease. And we find in functional medicine, you also can reverse it. So if you arrest something, it doesn't get worse, but you're stuck with what you've got. But your body always wants to get healthier, always. And the you know, if you back out of the driveway with your car and you put it in reverse and you're going backwards and you say, well, what's wrong with this car? It's not going very well at all. What's oh, the emergency brake? 
And when you let go of the emergency brake, now you go in reverse the way you wanted to. That when you're not getting the results that you want from the efforts you're putting out, you have emergency brakes that are holding back your body from getting healthier. And so when you identify what the emergency brakes are, it opens the path to greater levels of health. So there are a couple of basic concepts I would like to introduce, if I may. May I share my screen with you? Absolutely, please. Well, thank you. Okay, so let me uh, uh, share the screen. And for those that are uh, on audio, we'll describe what we're talking about um, as best we can. And let's see here. And uh, I'm going to have to see how to, there we go. Okay, okay. One of the most important medical discoveries of the last two decades, the last 20 years or more, has been that your immune system and inflammatory responses are involved in not just a few conditions, but a wide variety of mental and physical health problems that dominate getting sick and dying. So it's your immune system that's creating the inflammation in your body. And it's like a billboard. When your immune system is activated, it's received a message. And the message is we are under attack, fight and defend. So the million dollar question is, what are you under attack from? Why is your immune system activated creating the inflammation that dominates the health problem you have. When we reduce the inflammation, when that inflammation gets reduced, your symptoms go down. Your body starts functioning better because the body always wants to be healthy, always. It's always trying. So, Chronic inflammatory diseases have been recognized as the most significant cause of death in the world today. And the Center for Disease Control in the United States tells us that 14 of the top 15 causes of death are chronic inflammatory diseases. The only one that's not is unintentional injuries and accident, everything else whether it's cancer or diabetes or Hashimoto's or cardiovascular disease, it doesn't matter. They're all chronic inflammatory diseases. And when you understand that concept and you understand that the inflammation produced by your immune system is trying to protect you from something, you naturally ask the question, what is it trying to protect you from? And if you want to reduce the inflammation, drugs are, you know, the anti-inflammatory drugs sometimes are necessary for a short period of time so you can function. But if you have a big bomb fire, a big fire on the beach, and you have a garden hose with a half inch opening, uh, pouring water, trying to put the fire out, but then you have a garden hose with a one inch opening, pouring gasoline, petrol on the fire, you're not gonna put the fire out. 
So you have to identify where is the inflammation coming from? What is the immune system trying to protect you from? And I love, love, love this slide. And for those that are listening, I'll describe it, that we have three cogs, like three gears here touching each other. The one in the center is systemic chronic inflammation. And the one on the right side, you can see the cog is it, um, the, the spikes on the cog are diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, cardiovascular disease, cancer, depression, autoimmune diseases, neurodegenerative and brain diseases, osteoporosis, uh, immunosenescence. And these are the diseases that people get sick and die from. But as they progress and develop, it's the inflammation, the systemic chronic inflammation that feeds them. And then on the left side of the screen, the other cog, it turns the wheels producing the inflammation. And that is chronic infections, whether they're viruses or bacteria, physical inactivity, obesity, uh, dysbiosis, meaning the amount of good guys and bad guys in the gut are way out of balance, the food you eat, chronic stress, disturbed sleep, chemicals you're exposed to. These are the environmental things that turn the wheel of inflammation that manifests as whatever your genetic vulnerability is. And that's the chronic inflammatory disease that you get. And in this medical textbook that came out uh, uh, two and a half years ago called Integrative Cardiovascular Medicine, they talk about that with the disease of atherosclerosis, meaning your pipes are plugging up and you're very vulnerable to heart attacks, atherosclerosis was identified in 1986 as a chronic inflammatory disease. And so what the textbook says, the clinician is faced with separate, distinct, necessary lines of thought. And this is true, not just for the cardiovascular physician, the cardiologist, this is true for the endocrinologist, the hormone specialist. This is true for every specialist. There are distinct, different lines of thinking. First, you have to stabilize the symptoms the person presents with, but then you have to address the underlying chronic inflammation that's going on. So they're separate and distinct and your doctor may give you uh, blood pressure medication if you have high blood pressure. Great, you take it. But blood pressure medication deficiency is not the cause of the high blood pressure. So you want the medication to help you function better and reduce your risk of something serious immediately like a heart attack, but you also have to address the underlying chronic inflammation that's going on. That's a critically important concept with any and every disease. And this slide is an example of a man diagnosed with psoriasis. And for those that can't see the slide, this is all over his body. Now it's not, it's not just little patches, it's very severe psoriasis. And 
you can tell it's an older man and he likely has had this for many, many, many years. And the next slide shows what happened for him 30 days on a gluten-free diet, that for this man, gluten was the trigger causing the inflammation that manifested for him as psoriasis. For someone else, it may manifest as Hashimoto's thyroid disease. It depends on two things, your genetics, and this is a geek term, antecedents, how you've lived your life. Uh, for example, if you eat tuna fish two, three times a week, it's very likely you've got elevated levels of mercury toxicity in your body. That's an antecedent. That's how you live your life. So it's genetics and how you live your life that determines where the inflammation is going to manifest in your body. And a paper came out about uh, 10 months ago from uh, a man, one of the, uh, my teachers, his name is Yehuda Schoenfeld. Professor Schoenfeld is at Tel Aviv University in Israel. And to give you a sense of him, 26 of the PhD students who received their PhD in immunology from Professor Schoenfeld, there are many, many more, but 26 of them chair departments of immunology in med schools and hospitals around the world. They're his students. This is the godfather of autoimmunity. And he just published a paper. Uh, the title is Gluten-Free Diet Can Ameliorate the Symptoms of Non-Celiac Autoimmune Diseases. And in that paper, he told us autoimmune thyroiditis was the most responsive condition to gluten withdrawal. They looked at... Um, um, I think it was over 80 studies on this topic. And what he told us was that 64.7% of the patients got better on a gluten-free diet. It didn't matter what autoimmune disease they had. And this was confirmed, it was 83 studies they looked at. This was confirmed in 79.5% of the studies. So the message is most of the time, people with autoimmune diseases get better on a gluten-free diet. So it certainly is worth checking out. And in Professor Schoenfeld's research paper, he did this drawing with no, no one can really read the fine print here. So I just marked the diseases that he talked about that got better on a gluten-free diet from Addison's disease, that's autoimmune disease of the adrenal glands, to autoimmune pancreatitis, to autoimmune myocarditis, autoimmune thyroiditis, autoimmune hepatitis, uh, uh, autoimmune enteropathy, uh, antiphospholipid syndrome, IgA nephropathy, that's of the kidneys. And the lists go on and on and on of all of the different autoimmune diseases that may get better on a gluten-free diet. And once again, he said that autoimmune thyroid disease was the most common condition that gets better on a gluten-free diet. So those two concepts, I think, are really important here to talk about. One, every chronic disease is a disease of inflammation. And so we always need to ask the question, where is the inflammation coming from? And two, Gluten just needs to be checked to see, is it gasoline on the fire 
contributing to the inflammation manifesting where my vulnerability is in this autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's. Awesome. I think that was a great insight. You know, like I think the message is very clear that the underlying cause is inflammation and then going beyond that, finding the root cause of inflammation can be very, very useful. So yes. I think let's talk about the gluten, you know, as we are mentioning so much about it. So obviously the first question everybody has is that, you know, like how do they know gluten is an issue? Because as we realize, you know, they might have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So regular blood tests, you know, for checking for celiac might not be the best way for them to know about it. So do you prefer doing a test for it? Or do you just have everybody with autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's go off gluten for a certain amount of time? It's a very good question. And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> um, uh, the rule in my world is test, don't guess. So mm -hmm. if you have the tests available, they are well, well worth doing. And you're absolutely right that all of science really cut their teeth, began learning about the dangers of wheat through celiac disease. And unfortunately, our doctors were taught, um, I don't want to uh, guess at how long you've been in practice, Dr. Gupta, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know, maybe just a, you know, five years, you're a young, young man. Yeah. But most of our doctors were taught that if you don't have indicators of celiac disease, you do not have a problem with wheat. And that unfortunately is a historical misconception. It's just not true. As Professor Schoenfeld's paper just showed us, 79% of autoimmune patients got better on a gluten-free diet without celiac disease. Mm -hmm. So and there's many, many studies on that topic. So celiac is a very important condition to identify, but it's not the only way that we can manifest a problem with wheat. And now we know there's so much, uh, so many studies on this that any condition may be any inflammatory condition can be fueled by a sensitivity to wheat. So it's really important on the top of the checklist in our world with any autoimmune condition, especially Hashimoto's thyroid disease, especially because that's the most common autoimmune disease that responds favorably to a gluten-free diet. The second part of the question, how do you test, is a problem. That uh, with celiac disease, we knew that there is one part of wheat that's poorly digested, that if your immune system fights that one part of wheat, it's called a peptide, of wheat, alpha-gledin, if your immune system fights that, that's a mechanism that eventually can develop as celiac disease. But now we know there are 62 different components in wheat that trigger an immune response outside of celiac disease. So if you're only checking for alpha-gledin, uh, you will miss it most of the time, right? Because it's not the component that most of the people are reacting to. And a test came, and that was a problem for me for many, many years. I was teaching this on stage, but there was no way of testing. And uh, uh, I rattled the cages of some of our experts in the field because I would say, this test is not comprehensive. 
You cannot base your decision solely on this test. If they don't have celiac disease, it does not mean they don't have a problem with wheat. And you know, the, the science was coming along and was demonstrating this, but we didn't have a tool to give them. Now we have a tool. And I understand there's a laboratory in the United States that the technology is extremely different than any other technology. And it was Mayo Clinic that published the first papers on this in January of 2016. And they referred to this technology, and the technology is called silicone chip technology. They referred to it as a new era in laboratory medicine, their words. And it's, it's a whole paradigm shift. And the best example I give to doctors, I'm standing on stage and I'd hold my phone in my hand. And I tell them, you know, if I, in 1995, if I was to tell you that in 20 years or less, I'm gonna hold this little black thing in my hand about the size of my wallet. And if I just push a few buttons on this thing, um, I can tell you within five seconds that the air particulate matter in Spiazzo, Italy today is three. That's very good. It's a good day to exercise outside. Chicago is 28, San Diego is 24, but San Antonio is 85. Do not exercise outside in San Antonio today because mm -hmm. you'll breathe in a lot of particulate matter. And of course, in India with Delhi, we have that problem all the time. Yes. about how much air particulate matter. My point is within five seconds, I can pull up information on almost anything anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. If I had told you that in 1995, you would have thought I was watching too much Star Trek. That, <laughs> you know, you know. But technology improves. Right. And the laboratory technology for the tests that most of our doctors have access to now is 20, 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So these tests are good, but they're not comprehensive. Right. And the new technology is called silicone chip technology. And it has 97 to 100% sensitivity and specificity, which means it's accurate every single time. As long as a person has total immunoglobulins that are adequate, meaning their immune system is not depleted, because you can't ask a depleted immune system, how you doing? You know, because you, you, you won't get a good answer. But as long as their immune system is functioning okay, this is the family of tests. And the specific test here is called the wheat zoomer, because you zoom in on the problem. And there's two main benefits to it. The first, there are 28 different peptides of poorly digested wheat that it looks at. 28. And the second is they included the most accurate markers of any tests I've seen anywhere in the world. And as you know, I travel the world, I'm on stage all over the world. And I, at the breaks, I go down to the vendor area and I'm looking at the laboratories and look at their catalogs of what they've got. These are the most accurate tests anywhere in the world. And the wheat zoomer not only looks at 28 peptides of wheat, but also the most accurate test to identify leaky gut, pathogenic intestinal permeability. And they did that on purpose to make it really attractive for doctors. In one test, you get the two most comprehensive markers 
in the development of autoimmunity in one test. And the test is called the wheat zoomer. And they will send the test kits now to India. They'll open accounts for doctors in India and it'll take them a little bit to figure out how to do this and all that, you know, but the tests are now available all over the world. Awesome. Which company does it? Oh, thank you. Vibrant. Vibrant Wellness is the name of the company. Awesome. And they're from India originally. They came from <laughs> India. You know, the, the, the technology came out of India. Awesome. Good. So you're telling us that, you know, we have a more comprehensive test, you know, because a lot of people are just going to the regular labs like LabCorp or Quest and getting the basic celiac panel, which, as you said, will miss a lot of people who might have the disease, but they're not even aware of it. That's exactly uh, right. Um, in India, the numbers are somewhere between one and four people out of 100 may have celiac disease wow. somewhere, depending north of the south. Um, uh, so th they, they may have celiac disease, but the numbers of people that have a problem with wheat outside of celiac disease is somewhere between 60 to 70 out of 100. So mm -hmm. one to four for celiac, 60 to 70 out of 100. Mm -hmm. So let's say like, you know, if people have gluten sensitivity, you know, like the test shows that. So do you recommend them just being away from gluten forever or like give you, or you give them a trial period of like six to eight weeks of a complete gluten-free diet. And then you try to reintroduce gluten again. Really good question. Uh, I'll do the first part if I may. Why is gluten a problem for so many? Why? And we have to go back to understand that we have the same body as our ancestors 10,000 years ago. We have the same kidneys, the same gallbladder, the same eyes, everything functions the same, the same immune system. And back then, the primary concern for our ancestors was food. That was number one. This is before agriculture. 10,000 years ago, agriculture began developing. But before that, our ancestors were nomads. They followed the herds. They followed the growth of plants, you know, times of the year. They know there was food here. And so the primary concern was food. Number two was shelter. Number three was safety. Number four is reproduction. Now, some of our ancestors probably had it backwards and number four was number one. Some of our people today will laugh and say, oh, my husband, he's just always number four. You know, so it's, <laughs> some of us are like that. But number one was food. When our ancestors found some food, the first thing they would do is sniff it. Then they would nibble on it and then they would eat it. If there was pathogenic bacteria in that food that they did not identify, so the food hadn't rotten so bad that it smelled bad, but if there was pathogenic bacteria and they ate the food, hydrochloric acid in our stomach is supposed to kill it. It kills everything. But there's a backup system. If the pathogenic bacteria did not kill, uh, was not killed by hydrochloric acid and that glob of food came into the first part of the small intestine, then we had sentries standing guard right there, just inside the first part of the small intestine called toll-like receptors. And there's nine toll-like receptors and it's toll-like receptor two and toll-like receptor four are in the inside part of the gut right there. They're all over the body, but right there in that first part of the gut. 
and they're dormant. They're not doing anything. I, I envision them like the soldiers at Buckingham Palace. They're standing stiff and straight all day long. They're doing nothing. But don't mess with those guys. You don't mess with them, right? That's toll-like receptors, that they're, they're dormant. They're not doing anything, but they're watching everything that comes out of the stomach into the first part of the small intestine. And if they see a bug, a pathogenic bacteria, two things happen. They immediately, within five minutes, and you see when you see the videos of this, it's jaw-dropping to see. But within five minutes of wheat coming out of the stomach into the first part of the small intestine, two things happen. Immediately, you increase a protein that causes leaky gut. That's called zonulin. And why do you increase that protein? So that the cells gap open a little bit and water comes from the body into the inside of the gut. And why? Because the water is there to wash out the bug with the poop. Just wash it out of there. So that's the first thing that happens is that the protein zonulin increases within five minutes and you've got leaky gut. And when you see that, it's jaw dropping to see. The second thing that happens is that toll-like receptors activate the major amplifier of inflammation called an NF-kappa B. And so inflammation occurs in the gut right away, right away. Anytime toll-like receptor identifies a bug, anytime. Here's the kicker. Toll-like receptors identify gluten, misinterpret gluten as a harmful component of a bug because the protein structure of these poorly, poorly digested peptides of wheat, the protein structure looks like the outer surface of a microorganism. It's called molecular mimicry and it, it's so very close that these poorly digested proteins of wheat, because no human can digest wheat completely, those clumps of wheat look like the outer surface of a bug. So your immune system, in this case, toll-like receptors, trying to protect you from what it thinks is a bug is going to activate leaky gut and activate inflammation in your gut. And Maureen Leonard is a very famous gastroenterologist at Harvard. And she did a review of over 80 research papers. And she published the review in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2017 on this topic. And this thing about toll-like receptors activated by wheat, she said, and the summary was, this occurs in all humans when they eat wheat. So whether you feel bad when you eat wheat or not doesn't matter. And we, we know the science is the ratio is eight to one. For every one person that has gut symptoms when they eat wheat, there are eight people that don't. They get thyroid symptoms or they get brain symptoms or they get psoriasis symptoms or they get joint symptoms. They don't get gut symptoms. So they eat wheat and they don't feel bad, so they don't put two and two together, and they think that they're fine when they eat wheat. But the inflammation has begun because they're eating wheat. 
And that's why Professor Schoenfeld showed us that so many autoimmune diseases get better for 79% of the people on a gluten-free diet because wheat activates this inflammation in everyone without exception. So when you ask me, should everyone go gluten-free? I never ever say that because if I did, I'd sound like a nutcase. <laughs> but what I, do, what I do say is that everyone that has a health condition just needs to test accurately, like vibrant wellness, test accurately, is my immune system fighting wheat? Because if it is, you've crossed that line of tolerance and now you've got a big garden hose throwing petrol on the fire. That's great, that's great. It's because I get this question a lot of times and I think a lot of people do not understand it uh, properly that you know how gluten can actually play a big role in a triggering autoimmune condition. And yes. you rightly pointed out that if you do have a health condition, a chronic health condition like Hashimoto's, then definitely like checking proper checking of gluten. Or I guess, you know, what you're pointing out, if you don't have a test, then maybe at least giving a trial to the gluten-free diet is an other alternative who do not have access to the test or cannot afford the test, right? Yes, yes, that's a very good summary. And um, uh, just one caveat to that, and that is, you can't do a low gluten diet and you can't say, well, I'll cut down because when you have a single exposure, if you've crossed that line of tolerance already and your immune system is fighting wheat, but if you can't get the test done, so you really don't know. So you, you eliminate wheat from your diet. And after a week or two, you think, well, yeah, I think I'm feeling a little bit, oh, your daughter's birthday party. Well, I'll just have one bite of the cake, you know? And so you cheat a little bit and you don't feel bad when you do it. So you think you're okay. A single exposure can increase your thyroid antibodies for two to three months. So everything, else, everything you've done all of a sudden is wasted because you've turned the immune system back on to protect you. And if the weak link in your chain, you pull it a chain, it always breaks at the weakest link, one end, the middle, the other end, the heart, the brain, the thyroid, the liver, the kidneys, wherever it is, that weak link in the chain from a single exposure will give, can give you antibodies in that link to your thyroid for two to four months from one exposure. So you can't put your toe in the water. You have to be squeaky clean, gluten-free for at least a couple of months before it would be uh, a good idea to check your thyroid antibody levels. Because the antibodies, your thyroid antibodies, their lifespan four to six weeks, maybe four to eight weeks. So you have to give it at least a couple of months of squeaky clean, no exceptions, and then check your thyroid antibody levels. And it, it doesn't matter how you feel. If you don't feel better, it doesn't mean it's not working because your thyroid antibody levels can be so high. If uh, depending on the lab, the range is usually for TPO antibodies somewhere between zero and 40, 42, 38. And you may be at 4,000. And after two months of completely gluten-free, you're at 850. Well, you're still off the charts, way too high. So you're not gonna feel better yet but you see, oh, look, wow, my immune 
system is changing. It's starting to calm down a little bit. All right, I'm going to stay with this. You can't determine if it's working or not by how you feel. We always want you to feel better, but it depends on your starting point. If you're way, way, way out of balance, it may take a while to get those antibodies down to a level where your symptoms start reducing. Absolutely. I think that's like an important point that first of all, that you have to be completely gluten free and not reducing gluten because a lot yes. of clients, you know, like who come to see me, they have always said that, oh, well, you know, I've tried this gluten free diet, but in reality, they have not tried a gluten free diet. They've just reduced gluten. And then it's also important to actually do it for at least a couple of months, as you mentioned. And I think a lot of people don't do testing because a lot of normal doctors, conventional doctors do not even order antibody tests anymore. And then, so obviously yes. they don't follow it along. So again, very important point that, you know, please get your labs checked because these are, can be done at each and every lab now these days, you know, and your insurance yes. pays for it. So make sure you do get those lab checked so you can see the results. And that certainly will prove the point that you are making that these things will matter. So Dr. Think... Gupta, may, may I ask you, mm -hmm. when you were in medical school, that, did they teach you that you can reverse thyroid antibodies by changing your diet? Was that a possibility absolutely in your training? Not. No, no absolutely not. Yeah. No doctor is ever taught this in medical school. They're not taught this. They don't know. So they're going to tell you what they believe in their heart and soul because that's what they were taught. 15 years ago when they were in medical school. And if they haven't had the opportunity to read the more current studies from Professor Schoenfeld, the godfather of autoimmunity, uh, and so many other top-notch researchers, if they haven't had the opportunity to read that science, they don't know about this. That's why everyone out there, you want to be working with someone like Dr. Gupta who has extensive postgraduate training and understands these larger principles. No, absolutely. I think, you know, you pointed out very important to find the right functional medicine doctor so that, you know, who knows, you know, like how to kind of interpret these tests, get the right testing done and also help you out in a healing journey. So eventually, first of all, as you mentioned, you can arrest your autoimmune conditions and then finally able to reverse it. Yes. So great. So you touched on gluten. I think that's the most important message that, you know, with anybody who has autoimmune condition, gluten should be definitely looked at very closely. Now we don't have a whole lot of time to go over all the, all the root causes that you mentioned, but let's at least, if you want to shed uh, like light on one more root cause that you think that everybody should be looking at, what will that be for you mm. that you do have to yeah. share? Yeah, um, it's, it's a um, coin toss as to whether it's um, uh, toxic chemicals, heavy metals and toxic chemicals, or other foods. It's so very common that dairy, cow's milk products, is an insult to thyroid function. It's just very common. Just Google dairy and thyroid, and you'll start to see some of the studies that come up. And the other category, of course, is the toxic chemicals we're exposed to uh, on a daily basis. It is, in my belief, the primary reason why every autoimmune disease is going up four to nine percent a year 
every year, uh, more and more people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker because of the amount of environmental chemicals that we're exposed to. One of the worst places in the world, of course, is New Delhi. Their air is so bad and uh, people in New Delhi just try to live their lives as best they can. But you need to have an air filtration system in your home. Uh, and if you cannot afford an air filtration system and in your bedrooms at night when you're sleeping, where you're spending seven to eight, nine hours in your children's bedrooms, NASA did the studies on houseplants and how they clean the air because, and they never talk about this to reporters. I never saw an article on it, but the astronauts were going a little loopy in space. They weren't thinking clearly. And they were, and the, the, the people back on earth were like, why did he answer like, what's going on? And when this, the astronauts came back home, they really examined them. And what they found out was the air inside these capsules, these space capsules and the shuttles was full of chemicals from all of the plastic in the environment that they're living in. The, uh, uh, the different materials, uh, I don't know if there was wood in there, uh, but the varnish on wood or the phthalates from plastic. Um, and so NASA financed the studies, how are we gonna clean the air? And this offshoot set of studies they did was on houseplants. And what they found out was that two six inch houseplants in a room, a 10 by 10 room, will absorb 74% of the toxic chemicals in the air overnight. And they generate oxygen, more oxygen into the air. And so I took that, that um, report from NASA and we put together a handout, it's free for everyone. It's at the dr.com forward slash plant and just download the handout. And here's the house plants that you put two of these house plants in every room of your house. So if you have, if you have eight rooms in your house, you get 16 house plants and just little ones. And you put them in the rooms and people say, oh, I'm not very good at plants, they're gonna die. Well, then you buy more. <laughs> because what you want is the house plants, they work 24 7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They clean the air. So for your children, they're cleaning the air in the bedroom and they, they generate more oxygen in the air. So it's true in most areas of the world now. And also, indoor air pollution is much worse than outdoor air pollution in most areas because of the materials that we're using in our house these days. We're not talking about that today, but the idea is you want to clean the air. If you can afford it, you get air filtration systems in every room of your house. But if you cannot, you get little house plants. They're inexpensive house plants. And when you get the handout, you say, oh, I've seen these house plants everywhere. Well, yeah, because they're, they're inexpensive, but they do the job. And so you want to take action uh, in your home, just for, not only if you have Hashimoto's thyroid, if everyone should do this because we're being exposed to so many toxins and it's the amount of toxins that are accumulating in our bodies that are the gasoline on the fire for so many chronic inflammatory diseases. So you always want to include cleaning your home.
And I don't mean the dirt on the floor, I mean the air. Of course, you want to keep a clean house, but you also want to clean the air in your home. Absolutely. I think that is a very, very great point. And I think very easy thing to do. I think everybody loves plants, you know, like, so definitely cheap and easy thing to do. Not only people who have Hashimoto's, but I think this is a very pre great preventive step for anybody who wants to be healthy and who wants to keep their family healthy, that bringing these uh, like house plants. And I think that will be awesome. And I think, you know, I agree that the toxins, you know, are such a huge role, you know, like uh, we have so many tests that, you know, we do on our clients when they have Hashimoto's and we often find toxins, you know, in their blood, you know, as you said, either heavy metals or mold toxins or environmental toxins. Yeah. Yes, critically, critically important. But the concern that I have a lot of people is that, you know, they do these detox protocols and things on their own often by looking on internet. And I feel that sometimes that can be dangerous. So can you shed some light about that? You know, like what does a detox mean? And, you know, like, except for the house plants, you know, like what are the safe things that people can do on their own? If there is anything that they can do. Yes, yes. Well, the first thing, and in my opinion, the most important thing in detoxing is to help your body get rid of things it doesn't want. And, and in order to do that, you have to have enough water in the diet. And there's different discussions about how much water is right for a person. We, uh, when I was back in school, it was eight glasses a day. And I thought, you know, wait a minute, my wife weighs just a little more than half that I, of what I weigh. And she's supposed to drink the same amount of water that I am. That doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. So what we always tell people is it's a third of an ounce of water per pound body weight. And if you are exercising and sweating a lot, or if you're using saunas and sweating a lot, a half ounce of water per pound body weight. And every doctor will have their own uh, guidelines. But the idea is you need to hydrate because water is the carrier to get the bad stuff out of your body or else it just sits in there and it accumulates. So that is a critically important concept. The other concept on detoxing that's extremely safe to do is walk. Go for walks. You have to move your body if you want to flush out some of the stuff that's kind of sticking around in there. And a paper just came out earlier this year in the Journal of the American Medical Association that said the magic number is 9,786 steps per day. So 10,000 steps per day. And they looked at hundreds of thousands of people in this very large study. And they found that those that walked 10,000 steps a day, 9,786 was the uh, uh, exact number. Um, they had a much, much lower incidence of cognitive decline. Their brains continued working wonderfully in their 80s and 90s. So walking is helping you just flush things, move them along, move them along. And if you have enough water, then you're going to have a good chance of flushing out the garbage that's not supposed to be there. One of the real greats the mentors in the field of functional medicine is Sid Baker, Dr. Sid Baker. And Dr. Baker would say, well, functional medicine is actually quite simple. It's get the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in. 
<laughs> he would say it like that, right? So this is a first step in getting the bad stuff out that accumulates in your body over time is make sure you're hydrated and move your body every day. Try to set up a lifestyle where you're walking regularly, not running, not, not triathlons, which is okay if you want to do all that, but you don't have to do all that, not going to the gym and doing hard classes, just walking. That's all it takes is walking. Awesome. I think those are like two important and easy things. I like like how you make these complex situations and things and simple solutions you're giving it to people. I think, you know, like sometimes people just get overwhelmed, you know, by listening to like, you know, oh, well, you have to take these 10 supplements or you have to do this and that. And they totally get confused. And your methods and things are so simple that each, each and every one can implement it. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I oh, think thank in, you so much. And I think in this respect, you you are sharing that you are launching this, this new uh, online program for doing the right way of gluten-free challenge or the diet. So please share with our audience because I'm sure that is going to be helpful for everyone. Oh, thank you so much. Um, a, a primary message that I'm carrying out this year uh, all, all over the world is that gluten-free diets can be very dangerous. Uh, and I call it the fallacy of the gluten-free diet because if it's done incorrectly, it actually increases mortality. People die. Uh, uh, and when, when you see the science on this, it's jaw-dropping uh, because what people do is they stop eating the foods that they've grown up with and then they, they buy the gluten-free stuff, which is just garbage, is just white paste. There's no nutrients, there's no prebiotics in it. And the result is they actually get sicker and they can cause really severe problems. Uh, uh, so the talk is called the dangers of a gluten-free diet. Perhaps in the future, we might do that here. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you, you have to do it correctly. And when you do it correctly, you thrive. You absolutely thrive. You feel better. Your psoriasis is gone. Your thyroid's working better. Your belt's a notch tighter two weeks into this. You know, you're, you're losing that gut. Uh, your brain, um, it's like somebody turned the lights up brighter in your brain and things are working better. When it's done correctly, and that's so important. So we've put together the program, you know, you know I'm... Uh, I'm of a different generation now, and uh, uh, I can't quite speak the language that resonates with the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds. And so um, I brought in, uh, Jenny Fink is a nutritionist and a celiac patient, and one of my certified gluten-free practitioners. Uh, she's taken all of my courses. And uh, Jenny and I have done this 30-day program and every day there's new videos, eight minute video, six minute video, 15 minute video of some basic concept in a language that people can understand of what are your options? What are you gonna feed your kids for dessert? You know, or when, when they want a snack, what are good snacks? And Jenny's a great cook also. And so she put together all these recipes. We've got these videos, we've got these handouts for you. Um, and it's at the dr.com. That's my website, the dr.com forward slash gluten dash free 
gluten-free-program. So gluten-free-program. And you can go there and we've got some introductory videos and you can see, and we've priced this thing so that everyone can afford it. You know, uh, our, our goal is to reach the world with this information. And uh, when, when you follow this 30-day program, you've got it down. You, you are doing it correctly. And if gluten was a problem for you, it's not going to be anymore when you learn how to do it correctly. Awesome. Great. I think that's a great resource. Please, everybody go and check it out because, you know, Dr. Tom, as he said, very important to do the right way of gluten-free diet. So obviously every listener who is out here has tried the gluten-free diet, whether you have failed or not, I think trying this way of doing the proper gluten-free diet will be very, very useful. So Dr. Tom, thank, thank you. you so much. I'm sure we can keep going, but I think, you know, we have <laughs> yes. to stop a discussion over here. So thank you so much for coming over here, but any parting words you have for our audience that you want to share? Yes. I am so very grateful, Dr. Gupta, that you are there in India, that you had the courage and the qualifications to go to Cleveland Clinic and learn from some of the best in the world, my friends, uh, Mark Hyman and Patrick Hannaway and the team at Cleveland Clinic. And I can only imagine how frustrating it is for you at times because you carry a different message than practically every other doctor that these patients have gone to. And you have the science behind you and the current science to implement safe, effective ways of helping people reduce their inflammation and turn around their autoimmune condition. And I can only imagine what some of the uh, uh, traditional approach physicians, the things that they say, are, oh, that doc, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, yeah, he's completely wrong. And all of that, and the patient is stuck in the middle, not knowing what to do because they've been to this doctor for many years. They've trusted him. That doctor helped with the births of their two babies. You know, and the kids are now teenagers or uh, uh, adults and uh, they trust that doctor. But that doctor is saying something completely different than this new guy who you know, came, went to Cleveland Clinic in the US and came back with all these ideas and saying things that unfortunately and not intentionally, but make those doctors look bad to their patients. And I know you, and I know you, we've met before and we've, we've been on um, projects together and you're very open and sharing knowledge and just grateful for the opportunity to share what you've learned. But people out there don't know what happens when you're the pioneer and you're carrying the message out. I was called a nutcase for so many years in Chicago because I talk about leaky gut and our patients, doctors would tell, go back and say, there's no such thing as leaky gut. That's nonsense from that kook. You know, and, and the patients are stuck in the middle and they don't know what to do. They really are. So I just wanna encourage everyone out there is that this is a man who has the highest level of training. And he didn't know I was gonna say this, 
but it's the highest level of training to carry current cutting edge information to help you be healthier, you and your family. So I just wanted to say thank you, Dr. Gupta, for what you're doing. It's pioneering work in your country, and uh, I have great respect for what you're doing. Thank you so much. That means a lot. You know, as, as I said, my journey started by learning from you, you know, obviously watching your lectures and attending all those seminars. So coming from you, this means a lot. So thank you so much. Marvelous. I mean, you are definitely the pioneer in the field and we are so thankful that you continued your work and you're still doing it, you know, world over. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and you're sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much.